Good to see everyone. Wally is out of town today, so he has asked me to fill in for him. Got a couple of announcements before we get started. First of all, as Randy said this morning, if you were here, uh, the back porch is tonight at 5.30 p.m. And so uh, if you're going to be around this afternoon, um, make uh, plans to attend the back porch. The Madcap Thanksgiving food drive has begun And as Randy said a couple of times, we need 1,400 boxes, and we're only like halfway there. So if if, uh, that's your spiritual gift, uh, go to Kroger and buy a bunch of um, stuffing and bring up here to the church. Uh, There's a student ministry's Friendsgiving this Wednesday for middle and high school students at 6 p.m. at the Lodge. Um, There's a couple of women's ministry events coming up. The Ladies' Friendsgiving and Recipe Exchange will be this Thursday, November 16th at 6 p.m. at the Lodge, and the Christmas Ornament Swap will be December 7th at 6.30 p.m., and you can register for both of those events with the link in your bulletin. Um, Rod Henderson, not Rod Henderson, Rod Little, there he is, he had an announcement as well. Great, thank you. All right, if you have your Bibles, open them to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 26 and 27 today as we continue this study through chapter 8 of the book of Romans. Now, just to give you a little background on where we are, the theme verse in the book of Romans is found in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. And that verse says, He who is righteous on the basis of faith, shall live. That is the theme verse of the first eight chapters of the book of Romans. Romans 1.17, He who is righteous, on the basis of faith, shall live. That's a quote from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, and verse 4. And you could look at the first eight chapters of Romans as basically Paul's exposition on that verse. He who is righteous, on the basis of faith, shall live. And you can see from that short verse that there are three basic concepts in that one verse. God's righteousness, saving faith, and then the Christian life. Those three things. And if you read the first eight chapters of the book of Romans, you'll discover that chapters 1 all the way to chapter 3, verse 20, is an exposition on the righteousness of God. And then chapter 3, verse 21 Until the end of chapter 4, you have Paul's exposition on saving faith. And then chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8 are Paul's exposition on the Christian life. That is, what does the Christian life look like? So that one verse, he who is righteous on the basis of faith shall live. We have eight chapters in the book of Romans where Paul explains what that means. And when we get into chapter 8, we are sort of coming up to the very pinnacle of this whole idea of life in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, in fact, is the central 
idea, the central concept, you might even say the central character in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. When you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, as you well know, the Holy Spirit begins to dwell on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit inhabits you. And the Holy Spirit ministers into your life. The Holy Spirit sets you free from the power of sin. The Holy Spirit renews your mind. The Holy Spirit leads you. The Holy Spirit guides you. The Holy Spirit empowers you and enables you to live the Christian life. That is the main idea that Paul is trying to get across to us in chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8 of the book of Romans. And it comes to this apex here in chapter 8. In fact, in in Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 22 times in 39 verses. 22 times in 39 verses. That's more than any other concept in that entire chapter. And so we can see just by that how important the Holy Spirit is in the life of the believer. And what we're going to see today is that one of the most important ministries that the Holy Spirit provides for us in our lives is simply this. The Holy Spirit ministers to us in our prayer life. These two verses, Romans 8, 26 and 27, are probably the most important two verses in the entire Bible on the subject of prayer. You need to know these verses. You need to memorize these verses. These verses need to be implanted deep within your soul. Because if you want to be a person of prayer, you need to know what these verses say and you need to understand how the Holy Spirit helps you in your prayer life. Now as we get started, I want to say one more thing very, very quickly. And that is simply this. I have learned in the Christian life that of all the spiritual disciplines, there are two spiritual disciplines that are more important than anything else. Number one is studying God's Word. And number two is prayer. Each and every day of your life, you need to spend some time in God's Word. I cannot stress to you how important that is. If you come to church just once a week and the only time you crack your Bible open is in this building, then you are missing out on some valuable spiritual blessings and some valuable spiritual growth. You need to be in God's Word each and every day of your life. And in the same way, you need to spend some time every single day in prayer, on your knees, beseeching God. And I'm not simply talking about saying grace before meals. Saying grace before meals is very, very good, and I think we should all do that. But I'm talking about deep, personal individual prayer before God. You will not grow as a Christian if you are not praying each and every day, lifting up your prayers and petitions to God, casting your anxieties upon the Lord. He wants to hear from you and He wants to minister to you in your prayer life. And we're going to see here in these two verses how important that is and we're going to see how the Spirit helps us in our prayer life. So let's look at these two verses this morning. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
All right then. You'll notice that Paul begins with this word, likewise. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So when Paul says, likewise, that automatically should tell us, well, we need to see what what the likewise refers to. Likewise is one of those words like therefore. When you see a word like that, you need to find out, aha, he's tying this concept to something he's already said. So when Paul says likewise, what's he talking about? Well, in this eighth chapter of Romans, Paul has already broached the whole subject of how the Spirit helps us in our prayer life. And he does so back in verse 15. If you look back in verse 15, Paul says this, He says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. When Paul says, by whom we cry, what's he talking about there? He's talking about our prayer life. And so what Paul has said back here in verse 15 is simply this. He says, listen, when you get on your knees before God and when you lay out your prayers and petitions before God. It is the indwelling Holy Spirit who resides on the inside of you. It is the Holy Spirit that teaches you that you are an adopted son or daughter of God. It is the Holy Spirit that teaches you, that informs you, that when you pray to God, you don't have to pray to Him as some mean, surly judge who's ready to throw lightning bolts at you. No, He says you can call him Abba Father. God the Father wants us to have a close, intimate, personal relationship with you. And Paul says it is through your prayer life, it is the Spirit working in and through your prayers that gives you that spiritual knowledge that you can call upon God as your Abba Father. And then he goes on in verse 16 and he says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. You see there again, he's talking about prayer life here. He's talking about when we, when we pray to God the Father, he says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. God wants to have a close, intimate, personal relationship with you. And Paul says in and through your prayers, it is the Spirit that gives you that knowledge, that gives you that insight and gives you that understanding. And so when Paul starts verse 26 by saying likewise, he's referring all the way back to verses 15 and 16 where this whole subject of prayer was brought up in the first place. But now watch this. He says there's another way in which the Spirit helps us in our prayers. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, one of those things about growing old, older, I should say, right? I'm not going to do like, Wally calls you all the last lappers. I told him, I was like, don't call anybody the last lappers, man. Y'all look like y'all are on your first lap, okay? All right. But one thing, one thing about growing older is is this, and you all can understand this just just like I understand it. And that is, as you grow older, you become more and more aware of your weaknesses, don't you? Now, do your head like this. Yeah, you do. All right. When I was 25 years old, man, I didn't have any weaknesses, right? I had the world by the tail. I didn't have any physical weaknesses. I didn't have any mental weaknesses. Well, I don't know about that. My wife would probably say I had mental weaknesses back then too. But, but you're not aware of those things. But you know, as you, as you grow older, you do become more and more aware each and every year of your weaknesses, don't you? 
whether they be physical, spiritual, financial, whatever, whatever that might be. But Paul here is talking about a very specific kind of weakness, and that's a weakness that we have in our prayer lives. He says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Now you hear that and you think, yes, I do. I know what to pray for. No, you don't. Paul says we don't know what to pray for as we ought. He includes himself in that, right? He says we. He doesn't say, look, when when you become spiritual giants like me, maybe one day you'll figure out how to pray. No. He says we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Why is that? Well, there's at least a couple of reasons. Number one, we don't know the future. You don't know the future. I don't know the future. And so when I come to a difficult situation in my life, I come to a fork in the road, and I don't know what to do. That means I sometimes don't know what to pray for because I don't know how God is going to take the individual events in my life and work out His good redemptive plan. I have faith that He will do that, you see. I know that he will do that, but I don't know how he's going to do that. And so when I come to a difficult situation, I don't know what to pray for sometimes because I don't know how God is going to take the mangled mess of my life and work out everything for good. I don't know the future. But secondly, so often we don't even know what's best for us. Right? Now again, we think we do. I always think that I know what's best for me. When I'm in pain, I always think that what would be best for me would be if God immediately relieved me of that pain or that stress or that anxiety or whatever it might be. And you know what else? Paul thought that too. Over in the book of 2 Corinthians, which book was written about a year and a half or so before the book of Romans... Paul tells us about a time in his life when God sent him a thorn in his flesh. Paul says, this thorn in my flesh was so bad, and look, we don't know what it was. We don't know if it was a physical problem, some type of emotional issue. We don't know what it was. He just calls it a thorn in his flesh. Paul says it was so bad, it was as if Satan himself was tormenting me. And Paul says, three separate times, I beseeched the Lord. And I said, please remove this thorn from my flesh. And when Paul says he asked the Lord three separate times, I don't think that means on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday. I think Paul had this thorn in his flesh probably for many, many years. And I think when he says he asked the Lord three times, he says there were three different seasons in my life. When I got on my knees and I begged the Lord, please, this thorn is painful. This thorn is debilitating. This thorn is harmful. Please, oh God, remove it from me. Do you know what God said? No. He said, Paul, you may not understand this right now, but you need that thorn And I'm going to work 
a mighty work of redemption in your life through the pain that you are experiencing as a result of that thorn. You may not understand that. You may not get that. You may not even agree with that, Paul. But that's what I'm going to do. And in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul says that at long last, I learned that his grace is sufficient for me. He said, and God showed me through that painful ordeal that his power is made most glorious in my weakness. And Paul says, I never would have learned that. I never would have understood that if he had immediately removed that thorn from my flesh. And so you and I, you see, we don't always know what to pray for. We get it wrong so often, right? We get it wrong. We pray for wrong things. We think we know what's best, but we don't always know what's best. But guess who does? Guess who always knows what is best for you? The Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of you. Look at what Paul says. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not always know what to pray for as we ought, but that three-letter word, but, is one of my favorite words in all of Scripture. Usually when you see the word but, you know something really, really good is right around the corner. Watch this. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of us, intercedes for us, Paul says. What is an intercessor? An intercessor is a go-between. An intercessor is someone who advocates for you. Someone who appeals for you and on your behalf. An intercessor, an intercessor is someone who, who makes petitions. Someone who, who, who appeals to a higher authority on your behalf. And so Paul says, we don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. He advocates for us. You'll remember in John chapter 14... Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the advocate. He said, listen, he said, it is for your advantage that I go away. You don't want me to ascend into heaven. But Jesus said, it's for your advantage that I go away. Why? Because when I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit into your hearts, and he's going to be your advocate. He is going to be your counselor. He's going to be your comforter. He is going to be your intercessor. Let me give you a little example of how I think this works. I've been practicing law now for almost three decades. When I got out of law school, I went to work for Tom Garrity's law firm. Now, don't ask Tom Garrity what I was like as a young lawyer. He may tell you all sorts of stuff, right? But I've been doing this a long time now, and the lawyers in here can understand what I'm about to tell you. This is a very common occurrence. Someone calls my office. We set up an appointment. They show up. They sit down in the conference room. And they begin to describe to me some legal issue they're having, some legal problem, something like this. 
And, uh, and I listen patiently and I take notes and, and I'm trying to follow what they're saying. And sometimes they come in there and it's just a big jumbled, garbled bunch of stuff. They're just spitting out, right? A lot of times it doesn't even make any sense. And I'm sitting there trying to take notes and figure it all out. And some of these uh, prospective clients, sometimes they've done a little too much homework, shall we say. And before they even talk to me, they think they've already figured out. They've already figured out what they need, and they come in there and they say, now, here's what I want to do. I want to do this, and I want to do this, and I want to do that. And I want to get this over here, and I want to get that over there, and we're going to tell the judge this, and we're going to tell the judge that. And I'm sitting there going, mm, 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 mm. No, you're not. I'm not. <laughs> and so sometimes when I talk to someone like this, I have to explain to them. After I hear them out, I have to say, all right, I've heard you now. I know that you say you want this, 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 and this. You need to know two things. First of all, you're not entitled to any of that. Okay? So no judge is ever going to give you what you just said that you were going to get. So you're not going to get that. That's number one. But number two, as I've heard you describing this problem, let me explain this to you. Even if you could have that, you don't want that. You don't want that, because if you got that, then this is what's going to happen. And if this happens, then this is going to happen. And all these dominoes are going to start falling, and at the end, it's going to be a complete disaster. So you can't have all the stuff you just articulated, and you don't even want that to begin with. So my job as a counselor is to take this garbled mass, this jumble of petitions and requests and demands and so forth and try to put this into some coherent form and plead their case, you see, to the court. And I've already told the client, you're not going to get all the stuff you want and you don't even want it, most of it, to begin with. But see, that's part of my job is to be their advocate. I'm their intercessor. I, I, I would never let my client go represent himself in court. It's my job. And so that's what we do. And sometimes they take my advice and sometimes they don't. I had a guy come in my office last week and we had a long discussion like that along those lines. And I told him, you can't have all this stuff and you don't even want it. He got up and he grabbed his papers and he walked out of my office. As he was walking away, I thought, he looks like the rich young ruler departing very sorrowfully, right? I mean, he just, he just was upset that I didn't just rubber stamp everything he was saying. But see, this is what the Spirit does. Paul says the Spirit intercedes for us. That is, the Spirit listens to our prayers, listens to our petitions, and the Spirit himself takes those petitions. He takes our prayers to God the Father. Now look at what Paul says. He says, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now this is the, this is the third time that Paul has mentioned this whole idea of, of groanings. He says back in verse 22 that the whole creation has been groaning. Then he says in verse 23, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. Well, now Paul is saying that the Spirit himself groans. I want you to get this idea. The creation is groaning, we groan, and the Spirit groans within us. The Spirit groans with us, in us, and for us. 
You see, again, we don't always know what's best for us, but the Spirit does, and the Spirit is always interceding for us. The Spirit is always pleading for us. The Spirit is always petitioning God the Father on our behalf and is always seeking God's very, very best for us. And he does so, listen, as you know, sometimes prayer is groaning, right? Have you ever been so distraught about something and you're on your knees before God and it's like you can't even get the words out? You're just groaning. We were in the hospital this week, Randy mentioned it, praying with this dear sister and she was literally weeping as we prayed. And she wasn't weeping because she was so touched by our wonderful words of prayer. She was weeping because she was in pain. She was, I mean, there were tears coming down her face as we prayed. And it was as she was, she was groaning as we prayed. And sometimes that's the way our prayers are, right? You don't even know how to articulate it. But what I love about this, Paul says that as we groan, Listen, God doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't leave us orphaned. As we groan, the Spirit groans with us and in us and for us. And even when we can't even articulate what we need, the Spirit knows exactly what we need. And He always says exactly the right thing, even when we don't know how to articulate our needs. Now you hear all that and you say, well, that sounds all fine and good, but how does, how does God the Father hear these prayers? How does he process them? How, how can we be certain, how can we be certain that God the Father is actually going to listen to the Spirit and is actually going to do what the Spirit requests? Well, Paul addresses that in verse 27. Watch this. Verse 27, and he who searches hearts. Now, who is that referring to? That's God the Father. Paul's been talking about the Spirit. Now, he sort of pivots a little bit. He says, and he who searches hearts. That's God the Father. God the Father is always searching your heart. He's always probing your heart. He's always examining your heart. I saw a documentary a few weeks ago about this probe that went down thousands of feet to the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. It was, it was unmanned, but this probe went down there and it took pictures and videos, and it was a part of the Pacific Ocean that nobody had ever been to. They'd never sent a probe down there, and these scientists were just blown away, just so fascinated because they're thinking, we are the first people on planet Earth who have ever looked at this particular part of the floor of the Pacific Ocean and they were just amazed at the rocks that were down there and there were all kinds of little amoeba swimming around down there and so forth and they were just blown away by this and I looked at that and I said you know that's sort of the way that is sort of the way God searches our hearts God is able to go God the Father is able to go into the deepest darkest recesses of your heart and he probes and he seeks And he searches. Listen, God knows you better than you know yourself. 
He knows you better than you know yourself. Do you realize that there are parts of your brain you can't even access? There are things that have happened to you in life that you have suppressed. You may not understand that or believe that, but it is true. If you go through a very traumatic experience, maybe as a child, sometimes even as an adult, your brain has a defense mechanism where it can absolutely suppress that, and you have no ability even to recall that. There are things you do that are subconscious. You don't know half of of why you do what you do. Now, we think we know why we do what we do, but there are all sorts of unconscious motives, all sorts of sinful motives, selfish motives. But see, when God searches our hearts, he understands every bit of that. He understands every single thing about you, more than you'll ever understand about yourself. So he searches our hearts, but watch this. Paul says, he who searches hearts, now let me ask you this question. If you're a child of God, when, when, when God the Father searches your heart, follow me on this. If you're listening, say amen. Amen. All right. You didn't say it. You're not listening. You thought it. See, you thought it. All right. When God searches your heart, if you're a child of God, who does he find there? Come on. You know the answer. The Holy Spirit, right? If the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you, then when God searches your heart, he sees the Holy Spirit. So watch watch what Paul says. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Now this word that is translated mind there is a Greek word that he's not just talking about the brain. He's talking about the mindset of the Spirit. He's talking about the the thoughts of the Spirit. He's talking about the intentions of the Spirit. So just follow me on this. God the Father searches your heart. And there he sees the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit doing? The Holy Spirit is groaning. The Holy Spirit is interceding. That is, the Holy Spirit is bringing to the Father's attention all of your needs all of the things that, 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 that you desperately need. Maybe you know some of these needs. Maybe some of them you don't. But God the Father searches your heart. He sees the Holy Spirit. He knows the intentions, the thoughts of the Spirit. And so when God listens to those groanings, when God listens to those intercessions, Paul says, God knows what is the mind of the Spirit. How does God know what is the mind of the Spirit? Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, this may be the most most important part of all. What Paul is saying is simply this. The Holy Spirit is groaning within you. The Holy Spirit is interceding for you, is petitioning the Father, is praying, is laying out your needs to the Father. But he does it in a way that that is in absolute conformance with the will of God. See, your prayers and my prayers don't always conform to God's will. We've already talked about that. But when the Spirit intercedes for you, when the Spirit prays in you and with you and for you, every single thing the Spirit requests on your behalf to the Father is absolutely in accordance with God's will. And I think when God the Father searches your heart and he hears those intercessions and he says, 
yes. He says, yes, what you are asking for is exactly in accordance with my will. And I'm going to do that for which you've asked. And this is going to be the very, very best thing in the life of this brother. This is going to be the very, very best thing that this sister could possibly know or understand. Now again, we don't always see it that way. Things happen to us in our lives and we say, what in the world is God up to? What is he up to? This this couldn't possibly be God's best in my life. This is a thorn in my flesh. Think about the suffering of Job, all the things that Job went through. Think about the suffering of poor Joseph. Young man gets wrongly accused of sexual assault, goes to prison for years and years and years. What does Joseph say at the end of that ordeal? He looks at his brothers who threw him there, and he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. See, Joseph was able to realize that even in his darkest hours, when he was praying to God, petitioning to God, I've been in jail for two whole weeks. Get me out of here, God. God was saying, nope. My best for you, my best for you is that you remain in prison for several more years. Now, if he said that to me, I'd say, you are, you've lost your mind. But see, the Spirit, Paul says, always prays, always petitions in accordance with the will of God. And this is why Paul can say in the next verse that we therefore know that all things ultimately work together for what? For good for those who love the Lord. That doesn't mean it works together for my comfort. It doesn't mean that it works together for my immediate happiness. But it does mean that it ultimately works together for my good. Every single thing God does in your life is redemptive and good. Everything. He has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. And listen, sometimes I think we live 60, 70, 80, 90 years. And we may not ever fully comprehend God's plan in in our lives because so often our lives just look so jumbled right it just looks like a big jumbled mess and we're just thinking what what could God possibly be up to in my life I haven't done anything I haven't accomplished anything I'm just I, I feel like a failure sometimes and God is saying trust me trust me to use your life in all of its brokenness and let me do something amazing and wonderful in your life. And so I simply want to encourage you today that in your prayer life, I want to encourage you to to pray, as the Bible says, without ceasing. And I want you to pray every single day. You know, the fact that the Spirit prays for us, that shouldn't discourage you from praying. That should encourage you to pray. But I want you to pray more and more each and every day. But I want you to do so with the understanding that you have an intercessor, you have an advocate who is listening intently to your prayers and is presenting those prayers to God the Father. And even when your life makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, you know that God is doing exactly what needs to be done in your life and he is providing his very, very best for you. Now, very quickly as we close, let me tell you a story. We've got a couple of minutes left. Some of you have probably heard of Chris Spielman. Chris Spielman was an All-American linebacker for the Ohio State University. 
back in the mid and late 1980s. He was a two-time All-American, great uh, defensive back. He was drafted by the Detroit Lions in the, I believe, the first round of the 1989 uh, NFL draft and um, went to the NFL, had a great NFL career, was a three-time All-Pro, just a, a stellar defensive back. Well, when he was a young uh, NFL star, he married his high school sweetheart. Her name was Stephanie, and they had two or three uh, children. And look, life could not have been any better, right? NFL star, making a lot of money, married my high school sweetheart, got a beautiful young family. I mean, life is great, right? Well, Stephanie came down with breast cancer when she was maybe 27, 28 years old. And she beat it, and it came back. She beat it, and it came back. She beat it, and it came back. I mean, she kept going into remission. It came back about five times. And every time it came back, it came back with more of a vengeance. And Chris... Uh, eventually just retired from the NFL. He said, I've, even though I've got three or four more good years, I'm going to retire from the NFL. I'm going to go home and take care of my wife. And the last time she got uh, cancer was really, really severe and really, really bad. And Chris set, tells the story about how they did not stop praying for her healing. I mean, he said, we were on our knees day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out for, for a couple of years praying, dear God, please heal this, this woman. These were both godly people. They were conservative evangelical Christians. They loved the Lord. They were Bible-believing, church-going people. And he said, we, at the more we prayed, the worse she got. And finally, she passed away. And Chris said, I went through a period of extreme depression after this. Here I am. My wife has died. I've got to take care of these small children. My career is over. And this went on and on for a while. And finally one day, it dawned on Chris. He said, he said, I believe there was a purpose to her having cancer. And I believe there was a purpose in all of her suffering and in her death. And I've just got to figure out what it is. Well, he began talking to people. And before long, this idea germinated and that is he said he said I'm going to create the Stephanie Spielman Cancer Research Foundation and I'm going to give it a little bit of seed money and we're going to get donations we're going to let the Ohio State University School of Medicine uh, you know administer this this uh, this foundation and at first he thought you know we may raise a couple hundred thousand dollars or something I don't know this was back in the um, late 90s when this foundation got started as of today, that foundation has raised tens of millions of dollars. And there are literally hundreds, if not thousands, of women who have benefited from this foundation, whose lives have been lengthened, whose lives have been saved. They are funding research projects all over the world. And I saw an interview of Chris Spielman a couple of years ago on ESPN, and he said, he said it took me years to, to, to finally get this, to realize this. He said, but I have finally come to understand that it was God's purpose for her life to get cancer as a young woman and to die just so we could form this foundation that has blessed the lives of thousands of women around the world. And what I want to challenge you with is to look at your own life that way. Listen, you don't know how God is going to use your suffering, 
your anxieties, your problems, whatever it might be. You have no way of knowing what he's going to do with that. But we know one thing, that as the Spirit prays within you, the Spirit is always praying that your life will turn out exactly in accordance with God's will. And you know and I know that that is something that is absolutely true, something we can absolutely bank on no matter what. And Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful for this passage of Scripture, and I just pray that you would bury this passage deep within each one of our hearts. I pray that you would help us to understand that no matter what we're going through in life, no matter what kind of circumstances we face, you are always working things out for our benefit and for our good, and that you are always giving us your very, very best. Through Christ we pray. Amen.